more specific. We just said, God, move whatever you want to move. Do whatever you want to do. Say whatever you want to say. God, speak. Say what? Speak what? I don't want to just give him license to do. I don't want to just give him license to say. I don't want to just give him license to move. I want, I, I want, him to, get, I want to give him license to do whatever he wants to do. Say whatever he wants to say. To move whatever he wants to move. To change whatever he wants to change. I mean, you got to think about it in the context of you tell a God who is everywhere all the time to move. I mean, where's he supposed to go? Where's he supposed to go? First Kings chapter 8, verse 5. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place into the oracle of the house to the most holy place even under the wings of the cherubims verse 10 it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister before I'm sorry because of the cloud the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Verse 27. Solomon's praying. He said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication. O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today. That thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said my name shall be there that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place and hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people when they shall pray toward this place hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and when thou hearest forgive when thou hearest forgive yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant I believe I'm 
not saying this to be cliche. I'm not saying this to scare anyone unless it works. We really are living in the last days. I mean, and I know you heard it for years. But there are wars, rumors of wars, disease, pestilence, so on and so forth. And we're not supposed to be alarmed by those things. We're supposed to expect those things. Because those things have to come to pass before God comes back. But because they are coming to pass, that means it's, it's getting closer. I saw an article today about how the United States could be setting up for another civil war. And it's very possible. Uh, very possible. And so we live in a world that is plagued by prayerlessness. Plagued by prayerlessness. We need a revelation of the power of prayer. I need a fresh vision, a fresh calling to pray. We need a fresh calling to pray. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, I love you. God, I want your will to be done in this house. God, we are living in the last days. You could come back at any moment in the twinkling of an eye. Before my eye has a chance to blink, it could all be over. God, we want to be ready. God, we don't want to hoard salvation to ourselves. We want to be your hands. We want to be your feet. We want there to be a mighty outpouring of your spirit, not just in the last days around the world. We want that, God, but we want it here in our city, in our community. Let your will be done. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can be seated. We find in 1 Kings chapter 8 very... Uh, similar circumstance to when Moses would dedicate the tabernacle in the wilderness. We find Solomon, son of David, king over Israel, and all of the congregation of Israel, the entirety of the people, the nation of Israel. The place was packed. Millions of people had gathered and were assembled to Solomon as he is standing in the newly erected temple. The temple that his father David had organized the blueprints for. He had organized the accumulation of all of the building materials. David had put into place connections for things to be done. But we understand how God told David, David, you've got too much blood upon your hands in order to build my house. And so your son, the next king of Israel, commissioned him to do it. And so Solomon has done it. And now they are standing there dedicating the temple, the house of God. And they, the congregation of Israel was assembled unto him. And they were there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. They are sacrificing sheep. 
sacrificing oxen. And they were performing so many sacrifices that the number of animals could not be numbered. In fact, verse 5 just says that it was a multitude. that they, You couldn't count them if you wanted to. And they're standing there up to verse 5, and the Ark of the Covenant is there in the background, and Solomon is, is going through everything. The priests are going through uh, the rituals and the, the sacrificial process, and then they bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into its place. They put it in the most holy place, and as they put it in its place, and they pull the staves out, and as they exit through the door, through the gate, through the veil, then the glory of the Lord, the Bible says, that as soon as they were come out of the holy place, that the cloud, the glory of the Lord filled the entire temple. It filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister. Imagine with me tonight that if the glory of the Lord, the presence, the power of the Lord would be so strong in this room, so strong in this building that you and I could not stand up at all. No doubt some of us have had moments and experiences where we would get lost in the Holy Ghost and wipe out, fall out. But imagine if You were laying on the floor in worship or in prayer and the presence and power of God was so strong that you could not stand up. In a state almost like spiritual paralysis. But the glory of the Lord being so heavy, being so powerful, and being so rich that you were not able to move. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in some powerful church services before. But I've never been in a place like that. So that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. We find the cloud of the glory of God uh, presenting itself at special occasions. It signified the presence of God. It happened at Mount Sinai when the law was given on the tables of stone. It happened at the dedication of the tabernacle at Mount Moriah here in 1 Kings, the dedication of the temple. And then we find it again in the book of Revelation in John's vision of the temple that the glory of the Lord would come down in this manner. And the glory had filled Solomon's temple as the Ark of the Covenant is placed within the most holy place. And the word glory is also translated the word honor. Where the honor of God, where God's presence comes down and it signifies that this place is worthy of my presence. This place is honored enough to experience the glory and the power of God to this degree. We find Solomon going on and praying more in verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heaven cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication. What's Solomon doing? He's making a proclamation that this 
temple is not the only house of God. This temple is not a structure so magnificent that it could contain what God is and who God is. And so Solomon is is just putting nuggets of truth out there for the people of Israel who live surrounded by idolaters who have temples and, and, and high places and idol worship and all of these things that they build unto their God, supposing that their God dwells there, but he's letting them know, hey, this temple, this house of God is signifying a place for the name of the Lord. And what it's doing is it's not trying to contain the presence of God, but it's it's offering a place for the name of God to be put. And so now in the new covenant, or now in the new testament, when an individual is baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins, you and I become a place for the name of the Lord. It's letting them know. It's letting them know. It's a house for the name of the Lord. Because the name of the Lord represents all that God is. And so the temple could not contain God. Neither was it designed to contain God. But that does not mean that His presence wasn't there. Because it was there in a very real Way And so in the same way, in the same fashion, His presence is real in those who are filled with the Holy Ghost today. If you are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can have the exact same level of experience that Solomon and the congregation of Israel had in 1 Kings chapter 8. But what, Pastor, what is holding us back? What is keeping us from having this experience? It's a plague called prayerlessness. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold the heaven, heaven of heaven. Not contain thee. It's the plural of majesties. Our Father, which art in heaven, or which art in the heavens of heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet, even though God, you're bigger than I am. Yet, even though, God, your presence is far greater than anything we could contain in this earthly vessel or in this building that we call a church. Even though, God, you are bigger, more powerful, more full than anything that we could do or anything we could compare to. Yet, have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication. O Lord my God, hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make. 
toward this place. And hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel. When they shall pray toward this place. And hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And when thou hearest, forgive. So Solomon begins the dedication of this house of God by blessing the Lord. The second part of Solomon's prayer was his request for God to honor the house by hearing the prayers of those who prayed in the house or those who prayed toward the house with attitudes of repentance, whether they were Israelites or whether they were strangers. We'll get to that in a little while. Solomon goes on to address every single Situation between verses 22 and verses 53. Solomon goes on and he addresses every possible scenario that people, that you and I might find ourselves in because of sin. And he addresses the situation and then he asks God, God, when people begin to pray, why, even though they're in these situations, if they would begin to pray toward the house of God, if they would set their sights on the house of God, if they would set their sights on the presence of God, God, would you hear them? God, would you forgive them? Even though they might be far away from where they ought to be. You see, prayer is powerful. But so is the absence of prayer. You see, the more I pray, the more I want to pray. But the less I pray, the less I want to pray. It's powerful in both dynamics. But don't get me wrong, they are dynamic in their differences. The more I pray, the closer to God I get. And the closer to God I get, the closer I want to get. But the less I pray, the less I want to pray. The less I pray, the farther away from God that I get. And the farther away from God I get, the farther I want to be away from God. You see, they are both very powerful in and of themselves. It it becomes a plague. It becomes a disastrous evil or affliction. It becomes a calamity. It becomes an epidemic causes a high rate of spiritual mortality. But on the opposite end of the plague, we find that prayer is one of the highest privileges afforded to you and I. What does prayer do? Verse 31 says, If any man trespass against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to cause him to swear, and the oath come before your altar in this house, then hear thou in heaven and do and judge thy servants, condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head and justifying the righteous. You see, prayer condemns 
the wicked and it justifies the righteous. Now what if we peel the layers back and we would begin to look at it. I'm wicked in myself. I'm undone in myself. But when I begin to pray, the wickedness that's in me begins to be condemned. And if I continue to pray, it'll drive me closer. It'll drive me deeper. It'll drive me higher. The wickedness in me, if I allow it to be quelched, it will continue to be quelched. And the justification of the righteous will begin to shine brighter than the spirit of wickedness in my flesh. It condemns the wicked and it justifies the righteous. Verse 33, Solomon said, When thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy, even because they've sinned, but there's repentance in verse 33, and shall turn again. God, they're in the heat of battle. Notice the language. The battle does not stop. But if they are in the middle of it, because they're being smitten down before the enemy, and because they've sinned, if they would turn again to you, if they would confess your name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive. Bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. You see what else prayer does? Is that prayer delivers God's people from their enemies. Prayer loosens the hold of sin. And prayer brings forgiveness but you can't get forgiveness if you won't pray you can't get closer to God if you won't pray the wickedness in you won't be condemned if you won't pray what else does prayer do when heaven is shut up and there is no rain pray this could also be about repentance if they pray toward this place God they're far enough away they can't get here but if they'll pray toward it I've gone a mighty long way but if they'll pray toward it I know I'm not there right now but God if you give me strength and if you'll hear this prayer I'll pray it toward the church I'll pray toward where I'm going to be confess your name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them then hear thou in heaven Forgive the sin of thy servant. Again, forgiveness. And give rain upon the land which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. Solomon's reminding God. I know they're not where they need to be. And at that moment, the entire congregation of Israel was in church. He's praying provisional prayers. Provisional prayers. And so, we've read about it in the book of Isaiah. We read about it yesterday. 
amazes me. Hezekiah is on his deathbed. He prays. God gives him 15 more years. The people would have been better off if Hezekiah had died. Because here comes the Babylonians. Mind you, chapters before, verses before, they escape the sword of the Assyrians. The Assyrians was the, the army that conquered the northern kingdom. Hezekiah is king in Jerusalem over Judah. He's the southern kingdom. He escapes what the northern kingdom would have done. But now, he allows the Babylonians to come in, and he's showing them all the treasures of the house of God. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that just 15 years later, Isaiah, prophet, is coming in. He said, Hezekiah, what'd you show them? Well, I showed them the treasures of the house of God. Long story short, it's not going to be in your day, Hezekiah. Oh, thank God. But your kids are going to be made eunuchs. And so then they're sold in slavery for 70 years. Solomon's praying for that day. God, when they can't get to the house of God, if they can just turn toward it, if they can just turn toward it, God, Israel never struggled with idolatry after the 70 years of captivity. Never again has Israel struggled with idolatry. They've never once after that been turned over. Solomon's praying, God, even when they're far away, don't forget that that's the land of their inheritance. And if they'll turn and if they'll pray, give rain upon thy land. God, it's your land. It's not their land. It's your land. You want what's best for your land, don't you? He's praying provisional prayer. God, I started this thing with prayers, blessing your name and proclaiming God. We don't ever want anybody to backslide, but what if we prayed provisional prayers? God, but if they do. God, but if they do. Even if they're far enough away that they can't get to church, then God, would you just get a hold of them where they are and let them turn around and face the way they're supposed to go? There'd be a famine in the land. Pestilence, blasting, mildew, locusts. It'd be caterpillar. Enemy besieged them in the land of their cities. Whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there'd be. Solomon's praying that prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8 for 2020. God, if there's a pestilence in the land. If there's famine, if there's pestilence, if there's blasting. If there's blight in their crops, if the crops are rotting, if the mildew is coming in, if they're pale in color, if the locusts and the caterpillar, the bugs that destroy the crops, if there are issues trying to destroy their harvest, God, I'm praying provisional prayers for that day. If your enemy besieges your city, God, I want to, I, I need them to get a revelation that prayer will heal the harvest, that prayer provides the nourishment through famine, prayer defends against the enemy of their soul, prayer heals the sickness, prayer heals the disease. 
what prayer and supplication shall ever be made by any man or by all thy people. God, if there's just one man praying, hear that prayer. God, if everybody else is running out of the prayer room and one guy or one woman says, I'm running in, pray. God, hear that prayer. If everybody's praying, shall know every man the plague of his own heart. God, it's a national level. Then it's a personal level. Spread forth his hands toward this house. He's reaching for it, God. Then hear thou in heaven that God plays and forgive. God, first and foremost, take care of the sin problem. Do and give to every man according to his ways. Whose heart thou knowest, for thou, even thou only knowest the hearts of all the children of men, that they may fear thee all the days that they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. God, if there are any plagues, if there are any diseases, if there are issues in their heart, there's issues in my heart, prayer brings God to where I'm at. It brings forgiveness yet again. It gets plagues out of my heart. It allows me to live in my inheritance all the days of my life. Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a fire country for thy name's sake. Solomon is praying for a book of Acts revival in 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon's praying for Peter on the, on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house as the sheep comes down in the vision. God, if there's a stranger, if Cornelius is praying... God, hear that prayer. Well, you say, well, you know what? Solomon ended his life. Eat up with lust. Eat up with idolatry. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Yeah, but you know what? God still heard the prayer. That he prayed when he was right. They shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm when he shall come and pray toward this house. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for. That all people of the earth may know your name to fear you, as do thy people Israel. And that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. God, I want the stranger to learn to pray because what they've heard that you can and will do. If my people go out to battle against their enemy, wherever you send them, shall pray unto the Lord toward the city which thou hast chosen and toward the house that I have built for your name. Then hear thou in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Prayer brings victory in battle. Again, verse 46, if they sin against you. Man, here's the sin problem again. Why does he keep repeating it? For there is no man that sinneth not. And God, when we sin, you get angry with us. And deliver them to the enemy so that they can carry them away captives into the land of the enemy far or near. Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whither they were carried captive and repent, God 
even if they don't even know its direction to reach for, if it enters their mind. I don't even know how I'm going to get back. But God, if it just enters their mind, I'm telling you the power of prayer can reach down to wherever they are, wherever they find themselves. God can interrupt the pleasure of sin in that season. And God, if it enters their mind, then God, I want you to hear that prayer. God, if they mutter your name, I want you to hear that prayer. There's power in your prayer. say we've sinned we've done perversely we've committed wickedness and returned and return unto thee with all their heart all their soul even if they can't get back to the house of god in their heart and in their soul if they'll turn to you even in the land of their enemies which led them away captive and pray unto thee toward their land which you gave to their fathers the house which i built the city chosen. God, hear their prayer. Hear their supplication. Maintain their cause. Forgive your people that have sinned against you. He's praying provisional prayers. God, right now, I'm going to pray about famine, even though there's so many animals here that we're sacrificing, that you can't even number them. They're not in a famine, yet he's praying for the days of famine. Solomon understands to everything there is a season. Prayer gets God's attention even when you've been carried away by the enemy. Prayer once again brings forgiveness for they be thy people and thine inheritance which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron God they've been in a forge the enemy's been melting them down and beating on them trying to get them to conform trying to change their shape but God, if you'll remember the prayer that I've prayed even right now while I've got it all together, somebody needs to reach back to some prayer that you prayed before you felt like it was all falling apart. Somebody needs to reach back tonight and and grab hold of those prayers that somebody else might have prayed for you, that your eyes may be open. Now let's separate them from among all the people of the earth to be your inheritance. God, don't forget my identity. As you spake by the hand of Moses, your servant, and you brought our fathers out of Egypt. Verse 54 says, And it was so, when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer, and supplication unto the Lord, He arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up toward heaven. And he stood. He blessed all the congregation. Saying, blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. 
according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. The Lord God be with us as he was with our fathers, and let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him. I want him to incline mine heart unto him. I want him to give me a desire to be closer to him today than I was yesterday. God, draw my heart. And God, I pray that you'd give me enough spiritual sense to follow it. God, draw me closer to you. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that's right early. You say, oh, well, great, Pastor. Thanks for reading the psalm. Thanks for just waxing poetic there for a moment. But we've got to understand that the mountains and the sea were the largest, two of the largest geographic features on the earth. And both of those, along with the desert, are repeatedly used in Scripture to be places of deep spiritual encounters. Therefore, will not we fear though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. David implies that there's chaos to such levels and of such proportions that it would totally surround the children of God. It's chaotic. It's rocking. It's moving. It's shaking. It's rolling. It's out of control. It's turmoil. But in the midst of that turmoil that's trying to cause your life to tumble into oblivion. He ends verse 3. Selah. Pause. Reflect on those times. That's what the word means. Pause and reflect. As if he's saying, remember when it was so crazy that the earth felt like it was being removed. That the mountains were, it was almost like the mountains were being cast into the sea. Pause and reflect about those times. But then he goes on in verse 4, he says, there is a River, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. There are streams that lead to the city of God. 
There are streams and rivers that lead to the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. The word tabernacles is not meaning multiple, but it's the plural of majesties again. That the presence of God is so great and so strong that one word cannot describe it. And a singular word could not describe it. But the presence of God is so strong that even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of turmoil, if you can find yourself in a vein of prayer that you can be carried away through the river and through the stream of the spirit of God into his presence where even though the world's fallen apart your identity is rock solid and God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved God shall help her who's God gonna help God's gonna help the church and that right early I want to get in the stream that leads to the city of God prayer does it pulls me out of chaos and inserts me into a river prophet Ezekiel he said the river there was a river coming out of the house of God it's the the flowing of the spirit of God he said and I stepped in angel measured it was 50 cubits said I measured the angel measured and I stepped in I was up to my ankles you're in the streams Ezekiel you're in the river okay well I'm in the river here he said but then he measured out again and I stepped out I was up to my knees Same river, same stream, the same house of God, the same angel. But then he measured out again. Said, I was in water up to my loins, waist deep. Same river, same spirit. And then he measured out again. And I'm getting out there so far that I'm standing on my tiptoes to keep my head out of the water. And then he measured out again. And I'm in waters that I could swim in. But it's up to me to determine where I stop. And I'm going to preach to us as Americans. We've got it good. If you make, if your annual income is $30,000, in America you're living below the, the poverty level. But you are within the top 34% of the wealthiest people in the world. And brother, he's been talking to a, 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 a native minister in India, and you can buy a brand new motorcycle for like 800 bucks. I could take you to the Harley Davidson store in the morning when it opens up, and I'm t- there's bikes in there for 40 grand. Put that into perspective. But we're comfortable. And so the angel measures out and says, okay, 
You thought 2019 was tough. Here's 2020. Where you, how far are you going to go? What if God's saying, okay, let's shake up the American church. Let's make it a little uncomfortable. Are you going to be satisfied? Are we going to be satisfied just being ankle deep? While I'm in the flow, I've got the Holy Ghost. I've been baptized in his name. Verily, verily, I said unto thee, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom. Brother, I am seeing the kingdom. I am in the stream. But the angels got the tape measure. We got another 75 feet. Okay. I'll go out knee deep. Because I'm still in pretty good control, Sister Andy. It's a little deeper than what it was, but if I need to get out, woo! I can splash my way out in a hurry. All right, that was March. Let's go to the next quarter. It's June. Let's influence them to extend the mask mandate. I hate masks. Okay, well then, let's shake them up a little more. Let's get them a little more uncomfortable. See what's going to happen. Well, I'm waist deep. Ah, water's cold. It's cold. I think I'll just sit here and adjust. See, don't you know if you just do a big old cannonball? I was going to say when I was a kid, but I did it last week. So we were at our condo and there wasn't anybody else at the pool. Fooey on this stuff and going, oh, how cold's that water? Woo! That was my impersonation of Sister Fishburne. Oh, I'm not getting in that. It's got to be bath water before I get in. You know the best way to go about it? Just go down to the deep end. Don't touch it. Don't feel it out. Just jump. Don't give me. I came out of that water the last day and I said, No, dear mother of everything that's holy, this water's cold. But at that point, it was too late. I was committed. Oh, the water's cold, Ezekiel. Pun intended, pal. Angel, put that tape measure away. I was fine standing on the bank and just getting my toes wet. Now I'm knee deep. My waist. David said, I just want you to stop. Think about those times where your world was going nuts. How apt are you now? You say, all right, angel, why don't you just go ahead and measure out another span here? It should scare us. 
Maybe you're a praying machine. God bless you. I love you. We need you. But it should scare us if we don't pray in today's day and age. Why should it scare me? Because what is God going to have to do? What's God going to allow to happen? What's he going to have to allow us to succumb to to get us to pray? Isaiah 56. Neither let the son of a stranger, verse 3, that hath joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, the Lord, the Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. Can't produce anything. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called in the house of prayer for all people. This, Isaiah 56 and verse 7, is what Jesus is quoting when he walks back into the house of God and he's got a cat of nine tails and he starts flipping over tables. See, the house of prayer gives the eunuch gives the individual who doesn't have the the ability to reproduce physically. He's using language. Elder like, cut off. Don't let the eunuch say, you know what, I'm, I'm unproductive. I'll never make anything. He said, no, you know what, your physical circumstance does not dictate your spiritual reproductivity. But the house of prayer gives the eunuch a place to be fruitful. It gives him something more than an earthly posterity. It gives him a heavenly family. It gives him an everlasting name. The house of prayer provides a place for the eunuch. It provides a place for the son of strangers. You see, prayer is far-reaching. It enables us to go into areas that are locked down in the spirit places that we cannot get into any other way. Prayer allows us into those places. It allows us to scale spiritual heights. It allows us to leap over walls and to charge through troops. It allows us to do things and experience things that we would never experience in a workplace, that we would never experience with our family, that we would never experience in this physical world. But when I enter into the stream, into the river of prayer, 
and I start flowing toward the city of God, God's attention becomes peaked as the angels begin measuring out how far is he going today? How far is she going today? Oh, when Ezekiel was talking about it, he was leaving the house of God and he was going out into the world. But when Isaiah's talking about it, when David's talking about it, when I'm going out from the house of God and I'm going into the world, I'm also getting closer to the kingdom. I'm getting closer to the city of God. How might we view prayer if we could see the angel drive a stake into the ground? Put his tape measure over. Have you ever seen a tape measure? It's on a big roll that cranks. In. A lot of them flip down 90 degrees. It's got little spikes on it. You can put, poke it into the ground. Or you can drive a rod into the ground and you can slip that tape measure over. And then that tape measure's got a fixed place to stay. So I'm measuring from the rod or I'm measuring from this spot. I'm going out. What if when your alarm clock went off in the morning, you saw an angel grab the end of the tape? All right. How far is he going today? In order for him to get ankle deep, he's got to at least go 50 cubits. He's got to at least go 75 yards. He's at least got to try. She's at least got to try. I don't get out of bed in the morning standing ankle deep. What, how might we pray if we could see the angel? This sanctuary from this wall to that wall is between 80 and 90 feet. Seems like a long way. 50 cubits, that's 75 feet. How might I pray? How quickly might I pray? If I knew by the time I get to the back of these chairs, by the time I get back here to the sound booth, I'm just ankle deep. Really, how far have I gone? I mean, physically speaking, I've gone quite a way. I felt like I've moved downstream. I moved 50 cubits. But it's about one cubit from my ankle to my kneecap. Some more, some left. I gotta move another centimeter. I gotta pray another fifteen minutes. I gotta pray another twenty minutes. What does prayer do? Begin to scale spiritual heights. Now understand, that might be how it seems in the beginning. There might be days where you feel like you're swimming through mud and quicksand trying to pray. But the more I pray, the more I want to pray. And the more I experience spiritual heights, the faster 
I'll want to get there. The more I pray, the more the wicked carnal man inside of me is pushed down. And the more that wicked carnal man is pushed down, the faster I move downstream. So don't get discouraged. Child, young person, young adult, middle-aged, elder, whoever you are, don't get discouraged if you're praying and you feel like, man, I'm not getting anywhere. Daniel prayed three times a day and it still took him 21 days to get his answer. He didn't stop praying. James chapter 5. What else does prayer do? Verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. He may not feel like he can pray for himself. Let let them pray. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. If he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed from the sickness of sin. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You have more power in your prayer than you realize. But verse 16, James is not just saying, hey, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Yes, I accomplish things when I pray. But there are two words that James threw in there before the word prayer. Effectual. It's not just a, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my toys to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my toys to break so nobody else can use them. Not that kind of prayer. Not a, Lord, thanks for this peanut butter sandwich. Bless it. Jesus' name. You get to be an adult. You start praying over cake, Diet Coke. Anyway. Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman. You see, when you add those two words, prayer begins to take on a different form. It begins to sound different. It begins to look different. It begins to feel different. Effectual comes from a word, energio. E-N-E-R-G-E-O. Energio. It means engaged in. The word effectual, the word energio, intensifies the word work. It is intensifying work. It is energizing. It is working in a situation. It brings it from one stage to the next. It's like an electrical current energizing a wire, bringing it to a shining light bulb. The word energio, the word effectual, is where we get our English word energy. So there's praying, and then there is effectual praying. 
And it's almost as if I'm praying because I know I need to pray. And sometimes that's how we got to pray. Sometimes we got to pick ourselves up by the nap of the neck and drag ourselves to our prayer closet and make ourselves kneel down and say, listen, dude, listen, dude, you need to pray. So you ought to pray. Set a timer on your phone. Five minutes. Fifteen minutes. Thirty minutes. Three hours. God bless your soul. Pray, because you just need to pray. Sister Sherry, it's like I'm praying. I'm just there. I know I need to be there. I want to be there. But I'm hitting a wall. And in my mind, the way I imagine it, is I'm starting to get good and mad. You know what? If I'm going to have to be here praying anyway, Sister Blaze, I might as well get some things done. Almost as if I just reach over on the wall a switch. Okay. Flesh, back off. Carnality, take a back seat. I'm here to pray and it's getting ready to get effectual. I'm getting ready to energize my prayer. Oh, God, I pray for this ham sandwich right now in the name of Jesus. God, if I'm going to eat this ham sandwich, I pray you bless that pig. I pray you bless that truck driver that drove the meat to the grocery store. I pray there's something that happens when I begin to pray. God, I'm not just praying that you'd bring lost souls into the house of God. God, we need souls. But God, I start naming names. Okay, God, I'm locking horns with this thing. If I'm going to pray, I want it to be the best prayer that it can be. I'm getting my my fingers wrapped around the horns of the altar. I'm tying myself to the altar. I'm preaching to the choir today. I understand that, but we need a revelation of where God wants to take us in prayer. There's prayer, and then there's effectual prayer. It's the added intensity that causes me to shift from one level to the next. Effectual, fervent. Fervent means very hot. Exhibiting or marked by great intensity of feeling. Now, let's be honest, and we're going to show hands. Y'all ready for this? How many have ever had to pray and there was no feeling? Thank you. Would you look at that? We are all in the same boat. I have prayed, and it has felt dry. I have prayed. There were times I thought my prayer... Didn't even reach the ceiling of the room. I've been there. God help me lock in. I believe. I believe. I gotta hurry. I believe that we we should all. Well, this is way out of left here. 
First of all, we should keep a prayer journal. I've got like three of them. I filled out the first page of every one. Okay? But I think we should keep a prayer journal. Things I've prayed for today. That way I can go back and I can pray over those things again. Or I can go back and I can see what God's done in my life. Second thing that I believe is that we should all become aware of how many minutes it takes me typically to break through my flesh in prayer. There's a threshold. And it's going to depend on what's going on in your world that day. But if I'm praying consistently every day, let's go through the scientific setting things in order. Okay. I know that it takes me 15 minutes to break through my flesh. That's prayer. When I hit that 15 and a half minute mark, something happens. My flesh is out of the way. Switch is flipped. Now when you start praying, it might be 45 minutes. It might be an hour. What if when I felt that wall break, I didn't say, man, I just felt my release. It's time to stop. What that is, is my flesh is out of the way. Now I'm getting stuff done. Prayer. Effectual. Let's strive for that. We're not going to hit it every time. Okay? Young people, you're not more than likely, if you do, then please write it down. Give me your mode, your method. Chances are, young person, you're not going to feel like you could pick a mountain up by the peak throw it across the world every time you pray. You're not going to feel like you've got laser vision and you're blaring through cinder block walls. There's still going to be times when you feel like, God, I prayed and I'm really trying. But I still don't feel like I get anywhere. What do I do? Tomorrow, I'm going to pray again. I'm going to pray again. So it's effectual and fervent. And I'm going to ride that wave. Verse 17. I'm almost done. Musicians come. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. He's a man just like us. He put his shoes on one foot at a time. Just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He was just a normal guy who God had anointed and who had a burden to pray. He was subject to the same temptations that we are, but he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And God answered his prayer, and for three and a half years it didn't rain. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain 
and the earth brought forth her fruit. Your prayer controls your climate. Pray ye therefore, Lord of the harvest, he will send forth laborers into his harvest. What else does prayer do? It unlocks prisons. Acts 12 and Acts 16. It allows demons to be cast out, Matthew 17. It allows people to find real salvation in Acts chapter 10. It turns back the judgment of God, Genesis 18, Exodus 32. It gives children to barren mothers in 1 Samuel 1 and 2. It extends life, Hezekiah, Isaiah 38. What is prayer? Prayer, as we stand. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, unuttered or expressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the heart. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward gleaming of an eye when none but God is near. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant infant lips can try. Prayer, the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. His watchword at the gates of death, he enters heaven by prayer. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice returning from his ways. While angels rejoice and say, behold, he prays. The saints in prayer appear as one in word, in deed, in mind. When with Jesus Christ, his fellowship, they find. No prayer is made on earth alone, the Holy Spirit pleads. And Jesus on eternal throne for sinners intercedes. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself hast trod. Lord, teach us. I wonder tonight how we might respond if we could see an angel stretching out a line. How deep do you want to go today? How far do you want to go? Oh, you might get to the waist and something might happen that might push you back and tomorrow you might start out at your knees. But what if? We got ourselves to a place where when I'm waist deep and life happens, I don't go backwards, but I plunge ahead. It's easier for me to move if I just let go and jump and I stroke downstream until I'm in waters to swim in. What might God do in your life, in your family? Young person, God has heard your prayer, but what if he's waiting for you to continue to push it forward? Okay, God, I I know that you hear my prayer, but I'm going to pray some provisional prayer. Just in case you need another one. Daniel's going to get up in the morning and he's going to pray again. 
on the first day and again the second day and the third day, the second week. God, I'm praying provisional prayers. I'm pushing forward. I'm, I'm wanting you to move. I want you to do your work. God, wherever they're at, whatever they're doing, if they'll just turn their face, if you just bring it in a thought in their mind, God, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for the one who's had those thoughts this week. What if I just went back to church just once? What if I just lifted my hands? You know what? Maybe I'm, I'm too embarrassed to go into the house of God. Maybe I could just kneel down on my couch in my apartment. What would happen if we began to pray? provisional prayer for those who might not want to come back to church because they're shamed because they're embarrassed but God if there's a thought I'm praying provisional prayers for them I'll pray provisional prayers for the moms sitting in the living room floor crying God, I believe you're moving. I believe you're doing it. But I'm going to put some more prayer behind it. I'm going to push those prayers with more prayer. I'm going to push those prayer, those prayers with more prayer. God, intercede for them. Well, this altar is open. The lines, the lines strung out. You might feel, you know what, what's the use, Pastor? What's the point? I, I feel like my prayers are hitting the wall. Hit it again. Hit it again. Maybe it's crumbling on the other side. Hit it again. Heaven, hallowed be 